Hello and welcome in everyone. This is the Floor Slap Podcast and I am your host Sean. College football is officially back and I hope you're as excited as I am. Uh, we have a you know another great season of college football ahead of us and I'm so excited to cover it. And honestly, it should be one of the most wide open Big Ten and college football seasons as a whole that we've seen in quite some time. Um, and I just can't wait for it to get started. So as of this recording, it's Tuesday, August 29th. We just finished up week zero with a few notable matchups and the first Big Ten game is in just two days. Uh, before we jump into it, which is uh, we have a really great episode ahead of us, um, but in case you're new to the Floor Slap, we are a sports blog covering Big Ten football and Big Ten basketball. It's my friend Jordan and myself, and this is our weekly football podcast that we will release every Wednesday throughout the college football season. So what this will typically be, um, we'll start off uh, recapping the previous week, you know, going through the game of the week, the team of the week, hopefully highlighting a different team every single week. And then we'll give out some helmet stickers for notable performances. Um, And then we'll do a pulse check on the college football season as a whole, kind of going outside just the Big Ten. We'll look at the college football playoff race, the rankings, other conference races, and other notable matchups outside of the Big Ten. Um, And then we'll get into previewing the upcoming week, going through notable games and things to watch. And then we'll wrap up with Sean's five locks. Uh, So that's, um, you know, betting wise, actually, we have a full betting guide every week of the college football season on our website, thefloorslap.com. We also have a Twitter page at the floor slap, which will um, tweet out our picks. We pick every single Big Ten game and also go outside just the Big Ten um, in that betting guide. But um, here we'll just go through Sean's five locks. And these are five picks from Big Ten games, either the spread or over unders that I am 100 percent confident in. I'll go through my reasoning why, and those are the ones that you can really take to the bank. So that's what the podcast will be every single um, every single week this season. Uh, this year, I mean, this week to start off, uh, we didn't have any Big Ten games this past week. The first one, as I said, is in two days with Nebraska and Minnesota facing off um, Thursday night. So what we'll do, we'll start off with some Big Ten helmet stickers for Big Ten players that I think are kind of under the radar. So if you're kind of a casual Big Ten fan when you or you only really follow your team and aren't as familiar with the other teams, these are names that you probably won't know, but I think could be in for really big seasons, have all Big Ten potential, and are names you probably will know, um, you know, halfway through the season. Uh, then we'll get into kind of the pulse check on the football season. I have a few thoughts on the teams we saw play week zero. I'll also go through why I think this is the season we really need a 12-team college football playoff. And then we'll conclude looking at the week one slate. So we got a, a busy episode ahead of ourselves. So without further ado, let's dive into it. This is the Floor Slap Podcast. Okay, getting things kicked off our preseason, or I guess week zero, helmet stickers for the Big Ten. Again, these are just under-the-radar guys uh, that you probably haven't heard of, but I think could be in for some big seasons. Uh, To kick things off, we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball with Minnesota wide receiver Daniel Jackson. So Daniel Jackson is entering his fourth season with the program. He's cleared played in nearly every game over the past three seasons, including his freshman season, and his receptions, yards, and touchdowns have gone up every season with the Gophers. He actually led the team in yards and touchdowns last year with 557 yards and five touchdowns. Um, So honestly, 
Minnesota has a really deep receiver room. In the floor slaps, uh, you know, preseason uh, unit rankings, we had their receiving core as the fourth best in the Big Ten. And for good reason, you know, Chris Ottman-Bell is entering his seventh season. I know, seventh season. Um, but they also added Corey Crooms and Elijah Spencer via the portal. And those are both legitimate receivers who have put up big numbers for their respective schools. Um, so on top of that, they also have one of the best tight ends in the entire country in Brevin Span Ford. So the forgotten guy has kind of become Daniel Jackson. But um, there's an injury to Chris Ottman Bell, which, you know, has happened a lot to him throughout his career. So I don't think you can bank on him playing every game this year. Um, but an injury to him in the fall that isn't serious, but it led to more opportunities for Daniel Jackson. And he impressed his coaches and his coaches and his teammates have all gone on record saying they think he's an NFL caliber receiver. And also, they have a new quarterback this year in Ethan Kaliak-Manis. And so, I would it's hard to predict kind of where his chemistry is going to be, who he's going to favor to target. But you would figure, at least early on, he's going to favor the person or the player that he is most familiar with. Um, you know, Chris Ottman-Bell was injured last year when Kaliak-Manis got into games. Um, Daniel Jackson, you know, kind of has a rapport with him. And then Corey Crooms and Elijah Spencer were both late additions to this roster. So Daniel Jackson and uh, Brandon Spanford, too, are really the only two receivers who have any sort of chemistry with Ethan Kaliak-Manis. So like I said, they have a really deep receiver room, and Daniel Jackson is kind of the forgotten guy. But in all honesty, I think there's a really good chance that he ends up leading Minnesota in receiving again. So um, Daniel Jackson is definitely a guy... Uh, that every Big Ten fan should know. Staying on the offensive side of the ball, and actually at receiver two, I have uh, Indiana wide receiver Cam Camper. So he was a new addition to the Hoosiers last year. He was an under-the-radar prospect from Trinity Valley Community College, was not very highly touted. Um, I didn't even really know his name going into last season, but he ended up being an immediate star for Indiana. He had 46 catches and 569 yards despite going down for the season in his seventh game. So he was just about on pace uh, to be a thousand yard receiver for Indiana. He's a really long guy at six foot two. He has quick feet and incredible ball skills. I think kind of reminiscent of Garrett Wilson. In my opinion, he has that kind of ability to go up and grab the ball. Um, so he really is a complete package. And I think he would make a great wide receiver one for a lot of college football teams. And honestly, a lot of the teams in the Big Ten. Um, so Anderson Kopey also returns at wide receiver for Indiana, and like Minnesota, they got a couple of big-name receivers uh, in the transfer portal in Decuse Carter and EJ Williams. So I don't think opposing defenses are going to allow are going to be able to only focus on Cam Camper. I think the um, having a deeper receiving room um, is going to benefit him, and he's going to be able to get matched up one-on-one -on -one in a lot of situations. I know their quarterback situation is still to be determined with Taven Jackson and Brendan Soresby. We don't know who the starter is going to be, but I think Cam Camper is one of the most talented receivers in the Big Ten, and I think he could be in for a big season. Um, you know, I think I'm thinking all Big Ten this year. Next, I will jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, my next helmet sticker is for Maryland cornerback Jaquan Shepard. Uh, and he's actually a new arrival at College Park. He comes over from Cincinnati. So he didn't see the field very much at all, apart from special teams for his first three seasons with the Bearcats. Uh, but he burst onto the scene last year, ended up being first team all AAC. He had 10 pass breakups and four and a half tackles, couple interceptions. Um, so he was a really big name player. And Maryland lost a lot of talent in um, their defensive backfield to the uh, NFL draft last year. So Jaquan Shepard comes in as Maryland's unquestioned top cornerback. 
Um, and he'll have a tall task ahead of him matching up against some of these great receivers in the Big Ten East. But I think he's another NFL caliber cornerback uh, that Maryland can lean on. And I think their defense is kind of the biggest question mark for them. So I think a lot's going to ro- lo- ride on Jaquan Shepard's shoulders. But he's a really talented cornerback. I haven't heard a lot of preseason hype around him. He could be another all Big Ten guy. Um, and with safety Bo Braid um, in that defensive, you know, that defensive back group with Maryland, they could have something sh- um, special and something that could give teams like Penn State and Ohio State some trouble. So uh, Maryland cornerback Jaquan Shepard, another name to know. I'll actually stick with cornerback for my fourth helmet sticker, jumping over to the Big Ten West. Um, so actually, Michigan's Will Johnson and Penn State's Kalen King, at least on the national perspective, kind of um, own the titles as the best cornerbacks in the country, maybe even, um, or the Big Ten, maybe even the country. And then Iowa's Cooper DeGene is right up there with them. He was actually my pick to be a Big Ten defensive back of the, uh, of the year in 2023. Um, but opposite Cooper DeGene is another really good cornerback who has starting experience that not a lot of people are talking about, and that's Jamari Harris. So he was Iowa's starter um, back in 2021, after, actually over Cooper DeGene. He had four interceptions and four pass breakups that year, um, had a really solid season for them, and he missed the entirety of 2022 due to injury. It kind of lingered all season long. Iowa hoped he was going to come back, but he ended up missing the entirety of the season. Um, he's a good size for a cornerback at six foot two. He's put on 20 pounds since his freshman year, and now he's in his fifth season, fully healthy, fully recovered, and ready to start. Um, and I think he will actually probably get targeted more than Cooper DeGene. I think he had five interceptions last year, three returned for touchdowns. So I think defenses are going to make a real effort to avoid Cooper DeGene when throwing the ball. So Jamari Harris will have an opportunity to get his hands on some balls and put up a lot of some big statistics. Um, like I said, Michigan and Penn State, I think, are kind of crowned as having the best two secondaries in the Big Ten. Again, they might even have the best two secondaries in the entire country. But I wouldn't be surprised if the duo of Cooper DeGene and Jamari Harris end up being um, the best cornerback duo in the Big Ten. So um, definitely keep an eye on him. Assuming he can stay healthy, Iowa is going to have another great defense once again. Next, I will stay in the Big Ten West with Purdue linebacker Kedron Jenkins. So he had a solid year for Purdue last year. He was honorable mention Big Ten. He had eight tackles for losses, uh, four sacks, and seven quarterback hurries last year. And he's started all but two games over the past two seasons for Purdue. He's entering his fourth season with the program. Um, So he's very experienced, honestly, one of the most experienced guys uh, Purdue has on that defense. So honestly, I still think that Purdue is going to need another year to fully adjust to this new defense under Ryan Walters, but at least in this first season, I do expect more big plays from Purdue, which is something they desperately needed, so I think we're going to see more turnovers and more sacks out of this defense, Um, and linebackers play a huge part in that. They run this 3-4 defense, and um, they ask a lot out of their linebackers. They like really big bodies that can set the edge, but also stuff the run and get after the quarterback, and one of Purdue's weaknesses this year is actually their defensive line, because he... um, Ryan Walters would also really like big bodies in on that defensive line to eat up blocks, a lot like what Wisconsin's done throughout the years. Um, and Purdue kind of lacks that, and Jenkins is six foot one, two hundred sixty pounds, and also has good quickness. So he might end up lining up all over the field next year or this season. We don't know, um, but he's the most experienced and most athletic player Purdue has in its defensive front, and I think he's going to emerge as their top pass rusher. Um, and so he could be in for a big senior season for Purdue. 
again, I think you know, as a as a defense as a whole, Purdue's still probably a year or two away from really becoming one of the Big Ten's best, or at least in the top half of the conference. But short term, Kidron Jenkins is going to be one of the beneficiaries of this new uh, coaching change. And the final week zero helmet sticker that I'm going to give out uh, back on the offensive side of the ball is for Nebraska running back Gabe Irvin Jr. So Gabe Irvin has rushed for only 227 yards on about exactly four yards a carry through his first two seasons with Nebraska. Uh, but he was a name that this coaching staff immediately started calling out when they got uh, when they got to Nebraska. He um, was named one of the MVPs of the spring, had an impressive spring game. Um, and was named the starter midway through fall camp. And that's significant because he beat out Anthony Grant, who had over a thousand total yards for Nebraska last year. Anthony Grant isn't, you know, some crazy talent that's gonna make something out of nothing and make six guys miss in a box and rip off highlight reel runs, but he was a solid running back for them. Um, he can eat tackles, pick up tough yardage, and he has really good burst for someone his size. But Gabe Irvin, um, continued to impress his coaching staff and he's the starter. He's good size at six foot, 220 pounds, and Nebraska is going to run the ball a lot. And they're also going to count on their running backs to help out in the pass game. So there's a big opportunity ahead for Gabe Irvin. They're still likely going to run something close to a committee. I'm sure a lot of different running backs are going to touch the ball. And you know Jeff Sims, um, their new starting quarterback, is going to run the ball a lot. But uh, Gabe Irvin, you know, is a name that no one really outside of Lincoln really knows right now. But um, if he holds on to this starting job and he's as good as this coaching staff thinks, he could be in for a really, really big season. So those were our preseason Big Ten uh, helmet stickers for some under-the-radar players you should know. Moving into our next segment, we're going to move outside of the Big Ten and talk about Week Zero a little bit. I know it was a little underwhelming. We didn't really get any great matchups, uh, but there were two notable teams that played, and that was USC and Notre Dame. Um, and honestly, I think I can already say after seeing them play one game, I think one of those teams is a, a true contender for the playoff, and I think the other one is fraudulent. So what we saw with USC um, was kind of what you would expect. Caleb, Caleb Williams, of course, made a jaw-dropping play. They have this freshman, uh, Zachariah Branch, that you know might be pretty good. He had a few in, kind of crazy plays. He's got some great speed. Um, they just have a really electric offense, but their defense still sucks. I mean, their defensive line couldn't push a shopping cart. They were getting mulled over. They gave up several, you know, long third downs. Um, and I know the final score ended up looking like uh, USC killed them. It was 56 to 28. They doubled their score. But this game was 21 to 14 at halftime. Um, it wasn't until the kickoff return by uh, Zachariah Branch late in the third quarter that finally broke the game open. Um, USC gave up just about 400 total yards at over 8 yards per play. They didn't force a single turnover, and they only got one sack. Um, I, I know they kind of looked to be every bit as bad as they were last year, and their entire defense was their Achilles heel last year, um, and that was to be expected. You know, they had a lot of turnover, but it doesn't look like it's going to get much better this year, and honestly, I doubt they'll be able to force all the turnovers they did last year because that was their one claim to fame. They gave up a ton of yards, but they got a lot of sacks, and they forced a lot of turnovers, and I just don't see them being able to replicate all those big plays again. I don't think that's something that teams can usually replicate in back-to-back -back years. And the fact of the matter is you can't win a national championship with a defense like that. Even if they do kind of get their act together and end up taking a step forward, they need to improve massively if they want to be a legitimate college football playoff contender. 
Um, and, you know, they'll still be in the thick of the Pac-12 race. Um, I think they're justified in being the favorites for the Pac-12. Um, I still think they deserve a top 10 ranking in the preseason poll, and they'll still likely be in the thick of the college football playoff conversation heading into November. But um, I just don't think Caleb Williams can do it all himself. He's bound to have a game or two where he's off. Um, you know, maybe gets banged up because he runs around and improvises so much. Um, but I think that ultimately this is going to be a two-loss team minimum. Um, Notre Dame, on the other hand, really impressed me because they really added another dimension to this team. And it's a team that last year gave Ohio State everything they could handle on the road in Columbus, a team that demolished Clemson, and also a team that beat a really hot South Carolina team in the bowl game. Sam Hartman is, I think, the biggest transfer portal addition that any team had. I don't think it was talked about enough because um, he completes this team. It's a team that can already run the ball, already has, I think, at minimum, a top 20 defense. Um, and I, I think they're a threat to everyone on their schedule. They play Ohio State. They play Clemson and they play USC, and I don't think they're going to get blown out in any of those games. I think they're going to be right in the thick of all three of those games. And with a schedule like that, Notre Dame really only has to win two of them. If they go 11-1, and one, even though they're not in a conference, I think they would be hard-pressed to be excluded, excluded from the college football playoff if they beat two of those three teams. Now, do I think it's likely that Notre Dame finishes this regular season with 11 or 12 wins? No, uh, I think a 9 or 10 win season is more likely. But based off of between USC and Notre Dame, if you told me one of those teams was making the college football playoff, I would probably lean towards Notre Dame just based off of what I saw week zero. I trust a team with a really great defense um, instead of a team with, with tissue paper. Um, on that side of the ball like USC. So, you know, they could prove me wrong. We got a long season ahead of ourselves. Um, the Pac-12 is wide open, um, and they don't play a lot of their tougher games until later in the season. So, you know, USC could really make me eat my words, but based off of what I see saw this past Saturday, I don't think USC is a legitimate national championship contender. And speaking of the national championship college football playoff, uh, as I've been finalizing my predictions for the 2023 season over the past couple weeks, um, all of which, by the way, you can find on our website, thefloorslap.com. We have an entire tab uh, dedicated to the 2023 college football season. We have a lot of great content there. Um, if you want to get any last second information before the season gets into full swing this weekend. But anyway, as I was putting that all together, um, I was realizing how, how wide open this college football season seems to be and how much of a shame it is that this isn't this year that we're finally getting the 12-team playoff. Because, um, you know, Georgia is kind of the consensus number one team, and they definitely deserve to be after what they've done the past two seasons, but they certainly have question marks of their own. And if they go, you know, 11-1 in the regular season and lose to Alabama in the SEC championship, I don't think anyone would be would be really shocked. Um, and I think this is the first time really since 2014 where you can't point to one or two teams and say they are the best teams in college football. Um, it's going to be them in the national championship or something like that. So back in 2014, obviously that was the first year of the playoff. Ohio State just snuck into the playoff as the fourth uh, the four seed and, and won it all. Well, that was arguably the best season of the college football playoff era. Uh, but since then, it's really been only one or two teams where, you know, I think even if we did have a 12-team playoff, it wouldn't change who the national championship 
uh, who the national champions were. And I think in some years it wouldn't even change who ended up meeting in the national championship. So, you know, in 2015 and 2016, um, those were the two years of, you know, the Alabama Clemson showdowns with Deshaun Watson. Um, I think both of those seasons, Alabama and Clemson were clearly the two best teams. Even if there were a 12 team playoff, they were the teams that were going to meet in the end. Uh, 2017, Alabama and Georgia. Obviously, you remember that, um, you know, that, that throw to a had to Devontae Smith to win that. 2018, I think, was obviously Clemson uh, with Trevor Lawrence. That was his freshman year. 2019, obviously, it was LSU. Uh, Joe Burrow's magical season. Um, 2020, Alabama with Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, that Heisman winning season. I think all three of those years, no matter what happens, what format the playoff was, Clemson, LSU, Alabama were winning the national championship those three seasons. You knew that. Um, 2021, Georgia and Alabama. I think, again, those were clearly the two best teams. And last year, it was clearly Georgia. Um, And I just don't get that same sentiment heading into this season. And a big reason uh, for that is because some of the best teams in the country all have new quarterbacks. Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Penn State, Tennessee, all have brand new quarterbacks that we still need to learn a lot about to determine how good they're going to be. And then, you know, there's Michigan. A lot of people are picking them as their national champion. Uh, They have J.J. McCarthy returning, but, you know, he was outside the top 25 in pretty much every relevant statistic uh, for, for quarterbacks. And I think he still has to prove a lot as far as his consistency and what he can do as far as pushing the ball downfield. So I don't think he's not like an incumbent, incredible quarterback, like even Stetson Bennett was last year. Like last year, Stetson Bennett made big plays in the national championship and got a ring. Um, I think he was definitely more of a solidified option than JJ McCarthy is coming into this season. Um, So I think that's a big part of why this season is so wide open. Um, But there are just a lot of really good teams too. Like college football is deep this year. We have Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Penn State, Clemson, USC, LSU, Notre Dame, Utah, Oregon, Washington, Florida State, and Texas, all of whom I think their fan bases are going in with legitimate hopes of making the college football playoff. And I think this is the first time in the playoff era where you have that many teams who think they have a legitimate shot. And I think any of those teams could beat each other. I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia had to go up and and play at Oregon this year. Um... I don't think it would go the same way it went the last time they played. I think I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia lost that game. Um, if you know Clemson had to play LSU, that would be a great game. Texas Alabama, that's going to be a close game. So um, Ohio State Notre Dame, and Ohio, uh, that's going to be a good game. The race for the Big Ten East between Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, that is um, a toss up. That is going to be such a tight race. So um, it's really a shame that um, we don't get the twelve team playoff this year because I think we would have some incredible matchups and. I think this could be the type. This could be the season where a, a team seated ten or twelve um, would make a run to the national championship and maybe win it. I think that this season has that type of magic, and it's it's a shame that we only have a fourteen playoff this season. Um, but you know, we don't know for sure. Maybe Georgia really is the new dynasty, and their defense will be impenetrable. Maybe we're all stupid for doubting Nick Saban, and they'll come out and field another great team. Or maybe Harbaugh will live up to the hype this year, and J.J. McCarthy will play like a first-round draft pick. Um, And maybe this is the year Ohio State finally puts it all together. Who knows? Any four of those teams, I think, could end up being the dominant team in college football that is clearly the best and clearly um, the one to win the national championship. Um, But who knows? As far as the preseason goes, though, I think this is the most wide-open season of college football we've had in a while, um, and it's just a shame that we don't have an expanded playoff to really capitalize on that. 
Next, I'm going to shift focus to this upcoming weekend, week one of college football. Um, we got a re- really great slate of games, and I will get to my five locks, and I'll cover five different Big Ten games when I go through those, uh, my betting locks that I'll do every week. Uh, but first, I want to touch on a few games that I won't cover when I go through my five locks. The first is one of our three uh, conference games we have this weekend, Ohio State at Indiana. So I know the big headliner um, <clears throat> is going to be Ohio State's quarterback situation. Kyle McCord was announced as the starter today, but Ryan Day said that Devin Brown will play. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, will Kyle McCord get like the entire first half? Um, or if he maybe doesn't score a touchdown in the first couple of possessions, will be he be quick to put Devin Brown in there um, and kind of go drive by drive? Um, personally, I think it'd be best if he kind of gives Kyle McCord the reins, at least for the entire first half um, at Indiana, and then gives next week um, against Youngstown State an, an opportunity for Devin Brown to kind of take the reins and see um, and try to make a decision then uh, by game three, which is the week before Notre Dame. Um, but we'll see. It'll be really interesting to see how Ryan Day plays it. Um, and that's definitely the headline because I know no one really expects the game to be very close. Ohio State's a 30-point favorite, um, and I do expect them to cover that. Um, but Indiana can definitely keep it close early. Um, you can never take these conference games too lightly. And what I'm actually really excited to look for is Indiana's offense against Ohio State's defense because, as I mentioned earlier with Cam Camper, uh, Indiana actually has a solid core of receivers, and their quarterback situation still has to be panned out. We'll find out at kickoff, I guess, uh, who Tom Allen is going with for their starting quarterback. Um, but they have the possibility to make some big plays, and you know, Jalen Lucas is another um, is a guy I haven't mentioned yet, but he was a freshman All-American last year. He's a great returner, but also one of the best athletes on the entire Indiana team. Um, he's going into his second year and he should see an expanded role at running back. He can catch passes out of the backfield. He's, he can cause some problems too, but it'll be really interesting to see how this Ohio state secondary develops because that's obviously been their Achilles here, the Achilles heel, uh, the past two seasons. Um, and this is not an easy matchup for them to start the season. It's not someone they can just kind of roll out of bed and, um, push around and, you know, hold to under 200 passing yards and get a couple easy interceptions. Indiana's going to push him a little bit. Um, it will be. It's a 3:30 game. I'm sure it won't be the easiest environment to play in. So I'm interesting to see how that plays out because I think Indiana can actually keep the game uh, pretty close for the first half. I think Ohio State will ultimately just wear him down. You know, the talent level is just too big. But um, you know, that's a, that's a matchup I'm really looking forward to. Apart from just how Ohio State's quarterback situation plays out. Another game I'm excited for is Fresno State against Purdue. Um, I've been a really big fan of the Ryan Walters hire. I've loved him, everything he's said and done really this entire offseason. I love the the staff he's assembled there, and I love the direction he's taking Purdue as a program. But obviously, you don't see massive um, you know turnarounds really in the first year in their first season, and Purdue did lose a lot. Uh, so this should be a really tight game because Fresno State is no pushover. They won 10 games, only lost uh, last season, only lost one in the Mountain West. Um, they lose like a lot of their skill position players, but have a really solid offensive line and what should be a, a really challenging defense for Purdue, who, again, has a, a lot to replace. Uh, they lost a lot at um, receiver, and I'm excited to see Hudson Card. I'm excited to see if he is as advertised, if he can kind of carry this offense without a lot of proven skill positions around him other than his running back, Devin Bockaby. Um, I'm excited to see kind of what the ceiling is on this Purdue team, because if they can, I mean, roll in there and put up 30 points and take care of Fresno State, I think the outlook on this team is a lot brighter than I even thought, but I expect a tough game. Um, I'm excited to see 
Um, just kind of Ryan Walters on the sideline. I'm excited to see um, how in tune they are on defense or if it, it's, that's still going to be a big work in progress. But um, Hudson Card, I'm really excited to watch um, him play on Saturday. East Carolina at Michigan could also be a little bit interesting. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh is suspended for this game, one of the first three he's missing this year, but also uh, Michigan's offensive coordinator, Sharon Moore, he's suspended as well. So I'm curious how in tune this offense will be to start, but I'm mainly curious about the Michigan defense because, first of all, this East Carolina team can put up points. Um, They won eight games last year. They're no slouch. They return a lot of production. Um, But I'm also a little concerned about the Michigan pass rush coming into this season. That's kind of my one concern. Uh, Jalen Harrell and Derek Moore figured to be their top two pass rushers. So curious to see uh, what kind of shape they're in uh, early on in the season, if they can consistently get after the quarterback or, um, you know, if they're you know, if they're going to have trouble in that area. Um, but if I think considering the conditions, if Michigan comes out and they cover easily at 36 points, which I think is a little bit of a stretch personally. Um, but yeah, if they come out and kind of blow the doors off, he's Carolina with all these, uh, the conditions coming around, it's, um, it'll be really impressive. And I think a good first statement for, for Michigan. I'm also interested in the nightcap West Virginia at Penn State. Drew Aller obviously will steal the headlines. It'll be cool to see how, you know, if he is as advertised because Penn State fans are as excited about him as they've been in any as any quarterback um, in recent mem- memory. Um, but I'm also interested mainly in how this offense will operate. Like, are they going to come out early and let Drew Aller throw the ball around, throw the ball 30, 35 times and kind of show off this pass game? Or are they going to... Start off more on the conservative side, lean on Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, and just make sure that Drew Aller doesn't make mistakes. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that offense operates, but I'm also really interested in their defense. I'm curious if it's as good as I think they will be because I really don't see much of a weakness at all. They have playmakers at every single position. The defensive, the interior of their defensive line, which was kind of their one weakness last year, that's still a little bit of a question mark, but. James Franklin is confident that they've gotten bigger and stronger there. Um, But honestly, if it is as good as I think it is, I don't see any way that Penn State doesn't cover at minus 20 and a half. Um, But yeah, really excited to see how how Penn State plays and if they're as good as um, a lot of people think they will. Because if they come in and blow the doors off West Virginia, primetime on NBC, you know, the Penn State hype chain is only going to get stronger. And also, the third conference game we have uh, Sunday, Northwestern at Rutgers. Uh, First of all, I'm kind of curious to see just what the overall vibe with Northwestern is, considering everything that's gone on with them the past couple months. Um, It'll be interesting just to, you know, see them finally play football. But my focus is mainly going to be on Rutgers, because um, I think there is reason for optimism that they can reach six wins and get to a bowl game this year. I kind of believe in what Greg Schiano is doing in his second attempt at a rebuild at Rutgers. They have a, a really solid defense um, and a couple a couple talented running backs in Samuel Brown and Kyle Monenjai. Um But it all really rests on the shoulders of Gavin Wimsatt, their quarterback. He was a four-star prospect a couple years ago, but really hasn't seen the field much, has battled injuries, and really just has not met his potential. He's a career 45% passer so far, Um, but he's finally been named the full-time starting quarterback. He's gotten the full fall camp of first-team reps, which should benefit him. But I'm really curious to see if he can step up and be a competent quarterback in the Big Ten. Be comfortable in the quarterback, deliver accurate balls, and make plays with his legs because he is athletic and he does have... Um, you know, good speed and good size. So 
Um, and, and if Northwestern does have a strength, it's probably their secondary, you know, with guys like Coco Azima, who's a really solid safety for them. So this isn't like a walk in the park for Rutgers. It's not like they can just, roll, you know, like I said before, roll out of bed and um, just kind of knock the doors off in Northwestern. Um, they'll have to show up. So I'm curious if Rutgers can kind of handle a team that they should win, start off 1-0, and kind of take the first steps towards may- maybe making a bowl game, which I think is a, a distinct possibility for the Scarlet Knights. Now, moving into the final segment here on the, the first episode of the Floor Slaps Weekly College Football Podcast, I'm going to give you my five locks. Again, every week when this podcast comes out on Wednesday, I'm going to give you five Big Ten betting bets, either the spread or over-under on um, the Big Ten slated games that week. And these are the picks that I'm 100% confident in, the ones you can take to the bank. So um, looking forward to tracking my progress this season and hopefully winning a lot of people some money. Um, anyway, to start things off, I'm going to go with, uh, Nebraska at Minnesota Thursday night in Minnesota. The Gophers are seven and a half point favorites over the Huskers. I'm expecting a really good game. I'm excited to watch it, but I'm actually go going to go with the over under it's at 43 and a half. And I'm very confident in the over with this pick mainly because I have major question marks about both of these defenses. Um, Minnesota was one of the five best defenses in the big 10 last year, but they lost a lot of starters on all three levels of that defense. Um, and Nebraska, on the other hand, was, you know, famously one of the worst defenses in the entire country last year. I do love, you know, the hire of Matt Rule, and I love that he brought in Tony White, Syracuse's old defensive coordinator, to revamp this defense. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I do have confidence that they will turn it out, turn it around in the next few years, but the, the 3-3-5 is not something that you just, you know, can um, you know, grasp in with one fall camp, you know, um, especially in the big 10, um, you know, it's a big ask, especially for those defensive backs, Nebraska's kind of weakest point last season. So I don't think either of these defenses are going to be among the conference's best this season, let alone, um, week one of the 2023 season. So I'm expecting some holes from both of the, both teams defense, but I also have reason for optimism for both of these offenses. Um, you know, Nebraska, first of all, is running um, a brand new offense. So Minnesota has no tape on them at all. Um, you know, I think it's a relatively quarterback, quarterback friendly offense, um, which is great for their mobile Jeff Sims. Um, again, a quarterback that Minnesota Minnesota has never played before. Um, it's going to be a lot of running, a lot of RPOs, a lot of option, um, something that's typically difficult for teams to play for the first time and play week one um, of any season. Um, in Minnesota, meanwhile, you know, I've already talked about the, the talent that they have at the skill position players, all the receivers and tight end Brevin span forward, but they also have a new running back in Sean Tyler from Western, uh, Western Michigan. Um, and he is, you know, a, a bottle rocket. He's only five, nine, but he's got a lot of burst and he has great pass catching ability. So, um, you know, I'm really interested to see how Ethan Kaliak Manis plays. Um, their new quarterback, because I, you know, a lot of question marks around him, and I think Minnesota's offense will only really go as far as he can take them. But um, I think both of these defenses have question marks surrounding them in Week One, and I think both of these teams have um, reason for optimism on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm expecting kind of a 31-21, 34-20, 28-20 um, type of game, somewhere in that range. I'm pretty confident that the, the this game could hit 50 points. So. I'm taking over 43 and a half very confidently. I would take it confidently up to um, probably about 47, uh, honestly. My next lock is Michigan State minus 14 and a half at home against Central Michigan. 
Um, I'm not going to overthink this too much. Michigan State is going to be better than last year. I have my reservations around them. I still have them only, have them only finishing 6-6, six and six, but they have one of the best defensive fronts in the, in the conference. Um, and again, I think they're going to be better than last year. Last year, they played Western Michigan um, in the opener and won handedly, 35-13. Uh, Western Michigan finished with a better record than Central Michigan did. Um, they're in the same division in the MAC. Central Michigan was a four and eight team last year. I know you know the transitive property like that doesn't always work with college football, especially stretching across uh, two seasons. But you know I have some concerns about Michigan State, but not about beating a team like Central Michigan. I'm not going to overthink this. They're the much better team. Um, they should be able to run the ball a lot better than they did last year. Their offensive line is healthier. They have a lot more bodies. They're a lot more confident in that. And they should dominate, dominate the line of scrimmage against Central Michigan. You know, it can be, it can be close for, you know, two, two and a half quarters, but, um, no, Michigan State wins this game by three possessions. My third lock is, uh, the under of the Utah State Iowa game. It's at now 45. It's gone up from 43 and a half. Who knows how much higher it'll go? I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm really confident in the under. Part of the reason is, you know, favoring last year, uh, betting Iowa unders um, won me a lot of money last year. But last year, you know, we were dealing with unders that later in the season got as low as like 33, 34. And the outlook for this Iowa offense is a lot higher this year, you know, highlighted by by the arrival of, of Cade McNamara. Um, but you know, he's, I'm, he might not even play. He's, they've been down, downplaying this in non-contact injury. He got a couple weeks ago. Um, we don't know how healthy he is. If he does play, if he will be himself or if they'll have to, you know, um, go to Deacon Hill or Spencer Petrus. Um, so that's a little questionable, but also this Iowa defense is going to be great again. And it's not like Utah state can, you know, sneak up on them and, and score 20 points. No, this is a team that averaged 22 points a game and 350 yards of offense per game last year. Um, this isn't a threat. This is, you know, Iowa should, should handle this team, uh, fairly easily. And even if this Iowa offense has a great day, that's looking at like 35 points. And that allows uh, Utah State to score 10 for, for the under to push. So, um, you know, it is just, I don't really see a scenario where this is a high scoring game. I don't see Iowa scoring 40 points and I don't see Utah State scoring more than 10. So um, definitely confident in the under here. And for my fourth lock, we're going to go to Champaign, Illinois for the Toledo, Illinois game. Uh, Illinois is a nine and a half point favorite at home against the defending MAC champion. Um, and I actually think this is going to be a one possession game. I'm very confident about that. I am taking Toledo to cover at nine and a half. Like I said, they, this is a team that won nine games last year. There are no slouch. They can score a lot of points. And Illinois, even though I love where they're at at a program, I love what, what, what Brett Bielema is doing with them. I think they are a legitimate Big Ten West contender, but you know they have a brand new starting quarterback in Luke Altmaier from Ole Miss who's making his first career start. They also have to replace Chase Brown, and it's really hard, uh, I think, first game of the season to replace the heartbeat of your offense last year because I don't think it can be understated what Chase Brown meant to Illinois last season. Um, and, you know, again, they have you know some of the Jerzan um, Newton highlights an incredible defensive front for Illinois, and they have some talent in the secondary. But again, it's a lot of new faces that haven't had a ton of experience, so it's possible for you know Toledo to um, hit some downfield shots against the Illini. So um, you know, I think this is a close game. I wouldn't be surprised if Illinois gets upset. I ultimately think that they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage too much, and um, you know they have a really deep group of receivers, just like Minnesota, um, that at Luke Altmaier's disposal. So. 
I think they will be able to move the ball. I, I think Illinois will end up winning, but I think Toledo can keep this close. Um, and I definitely think it will be a one-possession game. Like I said, the line's at 9.5. I would take it uh, down to 7 with, with pretty pretty good confidence. And my final Big Ten betting bet of uh, week one of the 2023 college football season is going to be under 39.5 for Northwestern at Rutgers. I know I touched on this game earlier, but I, I this is, again, kind of a case of I'm just not going to overthink it. Neither of these teams are very good. Rutgers has a very good defense. Northwestern doesn't have a whole lot to be optimistic about. And I still think that Rutgers is going to have one of, if not the worst offense in the entire Big Ten this season. So, um, you know... <laughs> I think at the college level, a lot of people see an under uh, that's under 40 and automatically go over just because you, know, you typically see higher scores um, in college. But this is going to be an ugly game. This is going to be like you know, 16 to 10, 13 to 3. Um, I, I don't know. Like even like what's crazy is 27, 20 to 17, I feel like would be pretty high scoring for this game. And even that would hit the under. So, um, yeah, I mean, neither of these teams are very good. Like I said, Rutgers has a great defense. Um, they, this te- this game shouldn't even come close to 40 points. So um, if anything, I would I would definitely act on this now before uh, the under gets too too low. And that is going to do it for the first episode of the Floor Slaps Weekly College Football Podcast. Really enjoyed going through this with you guys. Again, we're going to be doing this every single Wednesday, covering the Big Ten and college football season. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Floor Slap. We tweet out Big Ten football and basketball news and even more uh, betting advice. We have a website, thefloorslap.com, where we post articles every week. I'll have weekly power rankings and top 25s and thought pieces. And we have a Big Ten basketball season right around the corner. Jordan is working on a complete college football preview. That'll be some great content. Um, and I cannot wait to kick off the season with you guys. So follow along with us all season long, all year long for Big Ten football and basketball with the floor slap. Thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy week one of the 2023 college football season. Bye.